to another episode of the Sideline Junkies podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow and like the Sideline Junkies podcast on social media. Links for those social media accounts can be found in the description of this video. Now let's take you to your hosts, Matt Turner and Todd Polston. Welcome to episode 8 of the Sideline Junkies podcast. I'm your host, Matt Turner. Uh, unfortunately, I am flying solo today. Uh, Todd Polston, my, my partner in this, he's, uh, he's going to take a little vacation, a little paternity vacation. He had the birth of his son this past Tuesday. Um, so he's taking some time off, which is completely understandable, and I wish him the best at this, this time. Uh, he's hopefully coming back Monday. I know he wants to come back Monday with the match 2.0 taking place Sunday. I, he really wants to come back and kind of talk about that and share some uh, opinions and what's, what has taken place um, with it. Um, but luckily, he did send me. I know it's very important to people that they get their Tiger Sad of the Day on this podcast, and he did send me one um, to to share with you all. Um, and we also brought on, or we are bringing on a uh, – a couple of guests they are going to help fill that void of not having Todd. Um, so we, we're lucky to bring back from Monday's episode, uh, Justin Grundy. He's going to, we're going to talk about the Rooney rule uh, with the NFL and just what all is kind of taking place with that. And, and he's going to share his opinions. I'm going to share my opinions. Um, and then to end the show, uh, I'm very lucky. My, my good buddy, Chris Talley is going to join us. He played professional baseball for a, for a few years. Um, He's going to just kind of talk about his time, um, you know, in the minors, as well as share some stories with, you know, involving some players who may have made it to the bigs that he played with or against and just uh, different things, I think, that may have taken place with some fans. Uh, so, like I said, he's going to share some good stories. Uh, really looking forward to that. Um, but first, what I want to do is I want to share that Tiger Woods set of the day because, like I said, I know it's important and hopefully I can do it justice. I know everybody's looking – was always wanting Todd to share it. Um, but no, these are the words from the Todd Colston. So, all right, from the 1999 PGA Championship through the 2002 U.S. Open, Woods won seven of 11 majors contested. Woods won by cumulative 94 under par in those tournaments. That's 60 shots better than any other player. So, in those Seven wins, majors wins. He shot a combined total 94 under par. The next closest person was 60 shots worse than that. Um, so that's that's yeah, that's really impressive. Really impressive. Um, like I said, that's that is the Tiger Woods stat of the day. Um, once again, hopefully, I now, I know I'm not Todd Polston, but hopefully I did it justice. <laughs> so, um, but first we're going to bring on um, Mr. Justin Grundy, and he's going to he's going to like I said share some his opinion on the Rooney Rule and some other stuff maybe taking uh, place in the NFL. Um, so let's get it started. All right, so we want to welcome back Justin Grundy uh, to the show. Uh, so what we're going to talk about is the the Rooney Rule. Uh, originally, it was. They had uh, instituted the rule in 2003, um, which was to offer just interviews, which is I've never really understood why you would just make a rule just to offer interviews. But it, it was to offer interviews to um, any person of, is it uh, just a minority 
I think, and, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure minority, but then it's, I think it's, it's pretty much boiled down to, to black coaches. Yes, that's see, that's what I was. I thought it was they like the main premise behind it was just African American. Mm-hmm. I think Ron Rivera was kind of yeah. linked into that. So, was, so I think they just any any coach of that's not white, more or less. Correct. And I and I, I think and I'm not I'm not for certain, but I'm pretty sure I think Flores in Miami. I think he's Hispanic, okay. some way, shape, or form. He's you know he's a black Hispanic, but he's I think yeah. he's got Hispanic roots. Okay, so um, you know they kind of instituted the rule just just to offer interviews. Um, and I don't know like with the initial rule if it was you have to offer interviews if you have African Americans on staff, you have to at least interview two on staff. I think it was the initial rule. Uh, recently, they've made the change to where now all organizations, if you have a head, a head job that's open or a coordinator, you have to offer two outside of your organization head coaching interviews and then one for any coordinator jobs. Um, and then they, they tried to – and I don't know if they've officially passed it or not. Um, Marvin Lewis kind of spoke out about this part. It was the – I read this. The you offer if you if you give a job to an African American, uh, for the head coaching job or anything, you get like new you you move up in the draft. You move up in the third round. It's like it's it's six picks, it's okay. six picks for for a head coach and like ten picks for a uh, uh, for somebody like a general manager. Okay. So you have both. You could potentially move up sixteen picks, which would move you from the middle of the third round into the second round. Okay. Yeah, and it, it like I, there there are several things on there that it, it it keeps it keeps going up the more people that you hire. It's like a certain number of picks that you go up for a guy that's a that's a that's a coordinator, or a certain number of picks for a guy that you get that that comes from your organization and goes mm-hmm. to another organization and becomes a coordinator. Certain number of picks for a quarterback coach that's that's a minority. So I mean, it's it's a bunch of incentives. Yeah, and I was saying and it improves every year that they hold that position, right? Yes, yeah. And I think you qualify for it in your coaches. If you hire a head coach, it's the it's your your head coach's second year. Okay. So that it's not like the year after you hire a head coach because I I think that's what they've seen has been the problem. You get guys like the I can't think of his name, but the guy that was in uh that was in Arizona that's the Browns defensive coordinator now. He was only there for a year. Uh, Vance Joseph, I think he was at he yes. Was, at was he at Denver? Yeah, yeah. And he was at Denver for like maybe a year. I think he maybe had- a year. So I think they were trying to. They don't want to do do it and just give it to you the year after because it detours or it, it encourages just hiring a guy for a year, and then getting rid of him, and then you getting rewards based off of it. So yeah, that's what I said. That's and that's uh, that part that Marvin Lewis is very outspoken about referring to it. Um, and comparing it to uh, Jim Crow law, yeah, yeah, and and you know, I was I've been I've kind of been very outspoken. I've I've spoke very uh, against this whole thing, not so much the interview, like just giving them the job and things like that. It's it's I went on Twitter, and kind of went on a rant the other day. About, mm-hmm. uh, before I get to my part of the rant, I just want to get your opinion on what, like, what do you think about that? Even that they had to make a rule for this. Uh, but like I said, it's a, we're in a cultural climate now where it's more uh, socially, not socially acceptable, but people are, are being more bold about their their dislike for others. 
You know what I mean? So it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's a go between. You got people that are hypersensitive. You got people that are real far to the left. People are real far to the right. You know what I mean? And, and I think with a lot of things, it's, it's somewhere down the middle. And it's the shades of gray that allow us to, to, to progress more as a society. But mm-hmm. in regard to this, there has been a clear, you know what I mean? There, there has been a, 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 a absence, really, or a really, really large, small, small minority of African-American or minority coaches. And it's just like one of those things with the progression of the NFL quarterback. You know, there was a point in time where blacks were thought of as, you know, less than in this country on a bigger scheme than just football. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about 400 years of, uh, of slavery, but, you know, you're talking about in the sense of football, you know, blacks weren't supposed to, supposed to be quarterbacks. Now we're dealing with this past year where it was the year of the black quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had, a, I had great discussions with my friends last night just about the whole what was the difference between Mitch Trubisky and, and Deshaun Watson? A lot of people watched the national championship game, the 2017 game, I think it was, 2017, 2018, where Deshaun Watson was just on display. He was on display that whole year. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I did not watch but probably, probably one game of Mitch Trubisky. And, I mean, that's all it would take for me to watch is one game of him and one game of Deshaun Watson and, and to know that there was no contest, that he was the better quarterback. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, there was there was a debate about it. And I totally feel like it's, it, it was a black-white thing. You know, he's considered more athletic. Watson is considered more athletic. So there's more of a danger with being more athletic. And, and all these different things, it all boils down to me of saying that, you know, even into the, you know, it's 2020 and we're still having the debate on whether uh, a, a black athletic guy can play quarterback and, and be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And the same is to be said with coaches. I think it's one of those things where they thought that, you know, I, I don't know if it was a, a, a intelligence or the ability to lead men or, you know, just being leery of putting a person of color in that form of a higher office, whether it be a coach or, you know, there aren't a lot of black general managers. That's why this rule is being placed. There aren't any black owners. You know I mean? There are some owners of co- color, but, you know, yeah. I think the, the Jaguars owner. Jaguars and Bills. Yeah, Jaguars and Bills. Yeah, so, but they're 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 of they're of color, but they're not African. Yeah, they're of a different nationality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's like zero percent African American in that regard, and the percentage is very very small. You got two out of thirty two teams over was the NFL been in in play since the nineteen thirties nineteen twenties. So yeah, probably yeah. Yeah, like yeah. You're looking at almost a hundred years, or you are looking at a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. yeah NFL one yeah, You're looking at a hundred years of of not a whole lot of opportunity, and I feel like that it, it's sad that we have to put in place a rule where you have to inter- interview somebody that's of color because mm-hmm. you would think that if this guy knows football, then he knows football then it doesn't matter what color he is. I shouldn't have to bring him in because he's a certain color. So I hate that part of it, but I mm-hmm. do like the fact of them bringing in guys of color because that opportunity isn't there to at least give that guy a chance to say, let's look and see what this guy knows. Does he know football? Can he lead me in? Let's look at his resume. Let's look at what he's done in the past to give him a chance, a shot at, 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 at being a coordinator, being, a, being just a regular coach, being a head coach, being somebody that's going – to have a shot just like everybody else. Now, as far as giving people draft picks and, 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 and 
you're making people hire people of color. I yeah. don't like that because yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I want to earn my way. I don't want to be hired because I'm black. Yeah. I want to be hired because I can do the job and I'm not just as good as everybody else they interviewed. I'm better. Yeah. You know, that's the reason that you hired me. I want to be hired because you see me as being the best and you trust me to lead your organization, whether it be college football, the NFL, high school football, basketball, whatever the case may be. I want to be the person that you hire because you trust me to take your program to another level. 100%. You know, that's, that's my, those are my initial thoughts on it. Okay. I just don't, I don't, I don't agree with, I'm not for personally, I'm not for being given anything. Mm-hmm. I'm for earning things. And I, I think a lot of people would, would, you know, a lot of people of color would want, will agree with me because you want to be hired on your merit, not just because of, yeah. you know, what race you are. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I was with it too, because like, I'm, I'm kind of over the whole where let's keep, making rules to just offer interviews. Stop, like, give somebody a job. Yeah, yeah. As a Kansas City Chiefs fan, we have the best offensive coordinator in the game, Eric Bannemi. And he's a, I mean, he's African-American, but he couldn't even get an interview. Yeah, he's still an offensive coordinator on the best offense in the league, arguably the best offense in the league, and he should be a head coach somewhere. You know, how many jobs has Josh McDaniels, one, had, and two, turned down? You're looking at guys like, Josh McDaniels, Dirk Cutter, you know, I mean, I can go, I can go on and on the uh, uh, shot. Yeah. Yeah. King, all these different guys that have had these jobs and you look at a guy like Kingsbury, Kingsbury didn't even win games at Texas tech. No. And all of a sudden he's the Cardinals head coach after turning down an offensive coordinator job at USC, a power, another power five school and mm-hmm. having it being fired and, and being able to just be rehired. Like, I don't understand it. I feel like, I feel like, and you know, I'm, I'm cutting you off here. I'm sorry. No, you're I'm, just, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about certain things here. You get a guy that is a coordinator, a coach, uh, even a player, especially at a position. And I keep on talking about it like quarterback. You have a small window, and you'd better be successful in that window, or you're not going to be in the league anymore. How many mm-hmm. years? And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not discrediting people because these guys are professionals. These yeah. guys are the best in the world of what they do. And I feel like the NFL in, in coaches and in players is the league of extraordinary gentlemen. But you see a guy like uh, like Fitzpatrick. If Fitzpatrick were a black guy, then Fitzpatrick would play the league is not near, not even a fourth of the time that he has. You see a guy like Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill had a good year. He had a good year. But I'll say this, if his name were Tyrone Tannehill, he wouldn't have got paid all that money at the end of this year. You're right. He wouldn't have got that. He wouldn't have gotten that big contract because it's just one of those things where they see a guy who plays a position, and I'm I'm talking about quarterbacks now, but Mm -hmm. he's not going to last long. He's athletic, but he's just going to – he's going to get hurt. Like, people have been praying on the downfall of of Lamar Jackson for the past three years. And they're just – Since day one. Yeah, since day one. And they're just hoping – you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna eventually catch up to him. It's gonna catch up. You know, the Ravens had a bad game, and people are like, "Well, yeah, he shouldn't be an MVP." Look at this. Well, I mean, it's one game. Let's look at the whole seventeen games before that, the whole body of work to see what he did. Yeah. Now, in regard to coaches, I mean, I feel like the we were just t- discussing two. Co- we were talking about Vance Joseph, and we talked about and I and I'm forgetting his name. The guy that was in uh, that was in uh, uh, Arizona. You get one year. You get one year, and you're out. That, that was going to be the other thing I brought up. 
Yeah, you get one year and it's and it's done. I mean, I don't see very many coaches that you know. I mean, we it's the NFL, so Black Monday is is nothing. People are gonna get people are gonna get the axe, yeah. but you let you let uh, uh, Mike Tomlin have a couple of bad years and let's see what happens. There was, and, you know, there maybe was talks about it. There was talks about this past year, and he had injuries. It wasn't even coaching. It was they were down to a third string quarterback. He did his best coaching job, one of his best coaching jobs last year, I feel like. I agree. And fortunately for him, he works for a very good organization, a very loyal organization. And that's why the Steelers are as good as they are traditionally because there's not a whole lot of turnover within that organization. Yeah. But, you know, you get a team that's uh, – you can't tell me that Bill O'Brien – you know what I'm saying? You, you know, if you're Bill O'Brien, let's say that – I don't know, Romeo Cornell were in – and Romeo Cornell's another guy that didn't get much of a chance. And I know you, those weren't the best years for the Chiefs, but <laughs> – Tough times. But let's put Romeo in Bill's seat and see what happens. And I know Romeo has had a couple of head coaching jobs. Yeah, they weren't – he never got – he never got to fulfill the, the contract. No, he never got to fulfill the contract. You know, you know for, for every guy like Dennis Green and, and Mike Tomlin – and Marvin Lewis, there are 30 other guys. Like Vance even, Joseph. Yeah, like Vance Joseph, who were in those positions that didn't get those years. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, and it's sad, and you see it. I mean, it's it's not one of those things that we're not making it up or, or, or making excuses. It's what you see. Yeah. Now, we know the NFL, like, like Jerry Glanville said years ago, it stands for not for long. Yeah. So if you're not doing your job or, or the job's not getting done well or you're leading men and you're not getting you're not getting victories, then you're gonna get fired. And I think as African Americans in, in in society and in the work world in general, the the tone is set to where we know that we have to overperform. Quick. You cannot be you cannot be a, a mediocre African American coach and expect to 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 play for a long time. I mean, to coach for a long time, whatever, regardless of the sport. I mean, we see what just happened to to was it Danny Manning at uh at Wake Forest with you, you know, know he only got three years, right? Yeah, three years, three years. You know what I mean? And it's just it's it's the reality of it. But the playing field is not level. It's not. It's just not. But but we know that it's not level two. So you we know that we have to, you know. What I mean, if your white counterpart is here in, in regard to his work ethic and what he's putting in, then we got to be right here. Yeah. That's why you got guys like Herm Edwards when he was at, you know, Kansas City. You guys have yeah. done a good job of hiring black coaches, by the way. <laughs> uh, when he was at Kansas City or even at the Jets, he slept at the office. You know what I'm saying? That's that's that, that's commitment. You know, I mean, Steve Spurrier, he wasn't sleeping in the office at D- in D.C. No. I'll tell you that. But, you know, but, it's just, like I said, it's a, it's a different level of commitment, and, and we know the rules. You yeah. know, those guys know the rules, and they know what they're getting into once, once they get into those positions. So you have to go above and beyond. You have to yeah. be a timeline, you know, in that, in that instance. Yeah, and, it's, and that's the thing is it's – and it's not just the NFL, and you brought it up no. with Danny Manning, but – there's only been one coach in Notre Dame history that never got to fulfill his contract. That's Ty Willingham. Ty Willingham hasn't coached since, has he? Uh, if he did, it, he, it wasn't on a large scale. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, on it, a Power Five scale like he was at Stanford and Notre Dame. No, did he go to Washington? He might have. I you know what? Washington, but it didn't last very long. Yeah, I guess I should have did my fact checker on that one. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and and you can see it in the NFL. It's 
it's almost black coaches get a one-year deal. No matter yep. what Trek says, you're you're on a even a game-to-game basis. The the Herman Boone deal. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and it's crazy because it's like you said, Bill O'Brien. You look at all the stuff that has just taken place in the it, since in the off season. The stuff that took place with you know I don't even know what they did uh, as far as his decision making on trades. Those were terrible. His yeah, because he's he, he's the general manager too, right? Yes. Where was there's, there's not many, and there's only one other, uh, one coach uh, that's not white that I can think ever had that responsibility. Is Doc Rivers? Yeah. He's. I mean, they. It's just crazy to me. Like I said, if they're good enough to interview, you ha- you don't bring guys into interview that you don't think, hey, this guy could possibly take over the team. Unless you're just trying to make it look good. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I read a, I read a Yahoo article where it discussed the these these draft picks and what they're going to do, and. I can't remember. I don't know the gentleman's name that wrote the the uh, the piece on it, but he said, "If you want to make change, don't make all these rules. You guys are the owners. Start with yourselves. Start yeah. with with changing your own personal practices because you know all it is is just a bunch of writing, just a bunch of bringing people in for interviews, and then it's just a big it's a big dog and pony show of I'm going to hire this guy because he's black to be my you know quarterback coach so that I can move up four picks." Well, what about the guy that's what about the guy that's white that's a better coach than him? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think it just fudges the whole thing. And, and a lot of people say the system is fudged to begin with, which I I agree. But let's just look. I almost feel like I almost feel like people should be brought in on interviews and you just be given a blank slate of not necessarily even who this person name the person's name is. This is Coach X. Coach X has done this at this Power 5 university. He's done this and this and this and this. These are the things that people say about his interpersonal skills. You mm-hmm. know, these are the things. And you let that person come in and you interview them blindly, like a, a true blind interview to see. And I know what will never happen, but you yeah. almost want it to happen that way so the right people will get hired regardless of race because we have not progressed enough as people in general to where we can just look past that. We can't. If we if we could, then this whole we wouldn't be talking right now. Me and you yeah. wouldn't be talking about this right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I mean, it's it's a it's a racial thing and a and a sex thing. I mean, we yeah, you know, we like you said. I think that would be the greatest way to to solve a lot of these problems. You bring it in and you just say, all right, these who we view are the best five candidates. No name. It doesn't even tell what university you're at. It just tells. I, I agree. I agree. They can't try to fish around, but they were this, this, and this, and they were one of the you know, X, Y, and Z of top five offenses in the country, whatever it is. Yeah. But I think that's the fairest way to do it. Like you said, it's, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that – I think it takes it takes the control from the owner out of it, and they don't want to lose that control. Not at all. Not at so, all. That, that's what these whole CBAs and, and all, all these things, because these owners want control because what are they? They're owners. Yeah. I own this. This is my property. These teams are my property. Yeah. You know, it goes back to the – to the whole thing of the the Ben Roethlisberger and was it the owner that said, you know, Ben and, and all these other kids? Yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's so, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, these, these owners, there's not a humble owner in the NFL. Not. I, can, I, can, I can gather that. Not, not a single one. They all have a, a, a superiority complex. So they're not going to let control – they're not going to lose control that way. They're yeah. not, not going to relinquish it 
into blind testing because they want to know everything. Perfect example, Jerry Jones. Oh, there you go. There you go. He, the most, even let, the he doesn't even let a coach coach. No, he's the micromanager of all micromanagers. Yeah. And a lot of people say, you know, he's good for the players and all that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, uh, people that own thoroughbreds treat those thoroughbreds really good. Doesn't mean that they think that they're equal to them. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Secretariat didn't eat at the table with whoever his owner was. And I know that's very controversial, and I'll probably end up going viral for saying that. But, I mean, <laughs> you know that is? it's the way it is. Like, I <laughs> Like Jerry's so good to the players. Well, I'm sure he is, and I don't think Jerry. I mean, I don't think Jerry Jones yeah. is a right, but Jerry Jones does have. He wants that control, and these owners want that control. This mm-hmm. is just another way of them controlling it and looking. Thought that they were going to look good about it, but it really ends up looking terrible. This is bad PR. If this thing gets approved, I I I, I, I never believe it's going to get approved because of the the public backlash that they've gotten from it. See, that's. I think if they approve anything, it'll be the uh, the first part of it, the offering the interviews to out of organization guys. But I agree with that. I, 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 that's I don't think you I can. Yeah, I don't think you can offer picks. No, uh, from I mean, there's, there's too reasons. much. There's too much room for tampering. Exactly, and that was and that was another part of it. They changed some of the tampering uh, stuff on, on the rule as far as what can take place, what can't take place, what's allowed. Um, but you know, the the crazy thing about the Rooney rule is and and how it plays to race. You know, a lot of it's – you might as well have a, a quarterback Rooney rule. Yeah. I mean, you know yeah. I mean? That's, the you, NFL yeah. is a Rooney rule. Yeah. The, the, so, there has to be one quarterback on the team that's a minority. I mean, you think about who's, who's the one quarterback they don't have a problem that's African-American, they don't have a problem hiring. Tyrod Taylor. Because he's yeah. the only person of color that will – he will start for you, but once you replace him, he doesn't cause a problem. Not at all. He just moves on to the next team and does the same thing over again. And, that, and that's why, who was it? Uh, the Chargers just picked him up. Yeah, the Chargers picked him up so that he can warm up the seat for your boy from Oregon. Uh, yep. I can't think of his name. I'm, I'm having trouble with names today, but I, I know who they're – you know, and that's, 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 that's his role. Yeah. Man, and the only quarterbacks that ever get, you know, criticized for anything, nobody talks about – like they, they compliment how well Big Ben – Moves in the pocket, out of the pocket, can scramble. He's strong enough to take certain hits. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, he's so elusive in the pocket. Yeah, they never say athletic. <laughs> they won't. They don't. They don't. They don't ever talk bad about it. But Lamar Jackson, he scrambles too much. He doesn't hold the ball well when he's when he's scrambling. And they just, it's a different level. They never, they never discuss. They never compliment black quarterbacks on how cerebral they are. They I compliment agree. them on their athletics, and they compliment. They compliment. Uh, uh, white quarterbacks on how smart they are yeah. in a lot of instances. Like, you've never heard – Steve Young is probably one of the more athletic quarterbacks in NFL history. You've never heard somebody talk about how athletic he is. But if you go back and look at the film, Steve Kerr was very – I mean, Steve Kerr. Steve, uh, Steve Young was very athletic. Steve mm-hmm. Kerr wasn't athletic. <laughs> Steve Young was very athletic. But, you know, I mean, they, they talk about Michael Vick like he was something new. He wasn't yeah. anything – he was more athletic than Steve Young. But that's not to say Steve Young – wasn't athletic he ran the ball a whole lot mm-hmm. but they don't talk about that it's just like the 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 attributes that they give you know he's a he's fiery he's a he's a leader of men but if somebody else does the same thing and I think Od- Odell Beckham touched on this and I don't like to give Odell Beckham a lot of praise for being <laughs> you know this prophet or whatever but you know he behaves one way 
but then Tom Brady can behave the same way, or a black quarterback can behave the same way as Tom Brady, get an argument with your with your OC, Bill O'Brien, you know, yelling at guys and doing these things, and he's considered a leader. Well, a lot of people say, well, that's because he's got six Super Bowl rings. Well, hell, I mean, Dan Marino doesn't have any, and Dan Marino was a jerk. Yeah. And and but you know, you get a guy like let's say Lamar acts like that, or you know, uh, let's say that uh, Deshaun Watson acts like that or whoever, and they're like, well, they're, this guy's out of control. Yep. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's lost control of his emotions. You yep. know, it's a double standard. It's it a is. double standard. It is. And, I, and it's, like I said, I, my, you know, being a Chiefs fan, I, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, you see the way he conducts himself. But if you, if you look at how some of the people uh, viewed him coming into the league, you know, they criticized him. They, they, they only brought up, and the thing is they never brought up, they say, oh, he's a, he's a gunslinger, but he takes too many chances. They, I mean, they don't compliment his arm, but they say it in a way to – it's a backhanded compliment. Let me crap on the compliment I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. They, they always talked about his footwork. If anything, the way he moves – I mean, he's got great footwork. Yeah. A lot of that comes from, you know, the work that he's done since he's got there. But, like I said, the, they, they praised how great Trubinsky was. He only had one year of success or just, like, worthwhile. Real production. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. same year, you could watch any game you wanted to of Lamar Jackson's, of um, Deshaun Watson, easily, and said he's third best in the, in the ACC. And it's I mean, hands down, and that's the way I felt about it. And like, really, to be honest with you, when they mentioned his name, I was like, "Who is he?" And I, I had seen him play, <laughs> so thing. it was, it was like, "Who will be?" And it's like I said, these, this is a league of extraordinary gentlemen. So I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I am speaking bad about Mitch Trubisky and the fact of him ever being considered to be better than Deshaun Watson or yeah. Lamar Jackson or being a top tier NFL quarterback. So I don't see what the debate was, even pre-draft into saying, look at this guy and look at this guy and tell me who's better. Mm-hmm. I'm going with the with number four in orange every single time. I'm going with number eight in red before I'm going with whatever, number 10 in powder blue. I'm just – these guys are better. These guys have a more of an impact on the game. Yeah. And I just – I think it's it's to the point where you can't bash an, an athletic quarterback. It's the future. For being athletic. And I think a lot of people, a lot of traditionalists, Hate a lot, of, a lot of traditionalists hate it. They do hate it because it eliminates a certain type of athlete. It, it eliminates a certain type of quarterback. Gone are the days of – he was one of the greatest quarterbacks, and we'll go down. Gone are the days of Peyton Manning. You cannot be that guy and be successful. And it started – it crept up from high school to college, and now it's going into the NFL. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's going into it, and that's what – you're going to see more of it because – that's how people are going to win because these guys are athletic and they can throw the ball. Yeah. And they're becoming smarter in how they're being elusive. You get a guy like Robert Griffin, who, who Robert Griffin III, who did not know how to evade contact, and that's mm-hmm. what's, you know, stalled his career to guys who know how to get out of the way, who don't take those big hits, and they can pick you apart in the pass game. Yeah. People are – people. there are a lot of traditionalists who hate that every year – Lamar is getting smarter and smarter as far as, you know, he's getting better at being a quarterback and reading things from a past standpoint because, you know, he's going to be athletic for, let's say, maybe another eight years to where he's at the level that he's at now. But then 
once he becomes a developed passer and he can still run a little bit, well, shoot, there's eight more years that you got to deal with him. So that's 16 years of dealing with a guy, 16-plus yeah. years of dealing with a guy that's a problem. Deshaun yeah. Watson, maybe even longer. Deshaun Watson might be 40-some if he doesn't have another catastrophic knee injury. Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get guys that are, that are athletic and can throw the ball. It's the future of the game. And it's not just to say that those are the guys, only black guys are going to be able to do it. It's just the future – of the of the league, it's the future of football. You give me, right. you give me, you give me a high school team right now, and I mm-hmm. have a quarterback that's not very athletic that can pass the ball a little bit, and I can get a guy that's athletic and can throw the ball and run. I'm going to take the guy that can run every time. Yeah. I'm going to take that double threat every single time because it's the way it's going. It's a you're you're a threat to defenses in more ways than one. You yeah. have to worry about running lanes and pass lanes and all types of different things. And you know like. What people don't talk about, they only want to talk about how it's, oh, we're, you know, the quarterback, the way the game is played by the quarterback is changing. And, it, you know, you look at Tom Brady, he kind of – he struggled. I mean, his numbers didn't show it, but he didn't get as much time in the pocket. Which And it, that's what he's all about. He's timing. Yeah. And in my opinion, it's not as much as the game has changed for quarterbacks and the way it's played. It's more athletic on the defensive front. They are causing the game to go faster, so you need guys that are faster in the pocket that can get out of the pocket to extend plays. And that's it started there. It's transitioned to the quarterback position to count. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people have an issue, but the unfortunate part is right now the players who can play that position at that level are African-American. And people don't yeah. want to do that. Like, they want – like, if, you know, maybe a wave of white players will come by and they will be able to do it the same way. But right now it's not that way. And you just have to accept it. I mean, it's – if you love football and you love the way, you know, just I enjoy watching those guys scramble out and extend plays and make these great passes. and Makes the game exciting. It does. I mean, I remember it, it sucked because I'm a Chiefs fan watching it. But I remember, you know, uh, Lamar breaking out to the right. And I don't remember who it was. And I, it was your boy, Black Elvis. Was it Frank? Gosh. Yeah, it was Frank. It was Frank. I, I, I was trying to act like I didn't remember because I don't want to name drop. I, I love Frank, but. I mean, he, he juked Frank down to his knees, and, and he was just reaching for him because, I mean, he's so elusive. And that's – what's I don't see it. It gives you another weapon. Quarterbacks just aren't the guys in the pocket who can only throw. Now they're a weapon. It makes the game more exciting because you have to account for everybody in the backfield, not it's, just the back. Yeah, it's no longer the big, strong guy that can take a hit and it has a howitzer for an arm. Yeah. You know, and, and you brought up a great point, man. Defenses have become more and more athletic. I watched this morning, early this morning, it was a replay of a 1992 wild card game between the Bills and the Oilers, the old Houston Oilers, where the uh, the Oilers gave up that huge lead and mm-hmm. the Bills came back. And, you know, you saw a lot of athleticism on the Bills end, especially offensively. But what I noticed more than anything was how much bigger, especially like in the linebacker area, defensive players were. You know, you come from a league where, you know, 25 years ago, you have a guy like LeVon Kirkland that played middle linebacker in the NFL. And LeVon Kirkland weighed like 300 pounds. Like, he was huge. Mm -hmm. And that was the times where, you know, off tackle right, off tackle left, stop the run. Well, now you've got guys like C.J. Mosley who are tall, who are rangy, who are thinner, Faster yeah. players. You got you. You look at the combine now. The the most the second most exciting forty to watch. Second or third is the linebackers. Yeah. Because you got guys that are running four fours. You know, sometimes in the into the four threes. Like uh, uh, the guy from uh, the that came out of the uh, from uh, Clemson this year. 
Like he mm-hmm. ran four three nine, four three seven, something like Some, that. Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, guys can run. They're rangy. They can run. They can move around. They can they can man up with those more athletic split uh, split ends and mm-hmm. be able to run and hit. You know, so how can you counter? You know, how can you counter that? You have to get guys that are more athletic in your back half. Yep. You know, it's just, it's just the way of it. And I'm a big guy that's you know run the ball, but even when running the ball, you have to do it athletically. Yeah, you know, uh, Derrick Henry is more athletic than people give him credit for. As yeah. the Ravens, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. But you know, it's just it's it's the sign of the times. The game yeah. is becoming more of a game of how well can you play in space, 100%. and you have to get a guy that's athletic to be able to play in space. Even the, the your guy that lines up behind center. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like I said, it's you don't get those uh, LTs once in a while, and I don't. Make it seem like everybody's on that level, but there are a lot of guys that are just as athletic and as strong at the same position he played, and you're facing two and three of those every Sunday. Yeah, and we t- and, and and that's what made LT so revolutionary was the fact me and my me and one of my great friends talked about this. My my best friend in the world, Jeff Morning. Shout out to Jeff Morning. <laughs> LT can play in the NFL now, mm-hmm. Mom, and that's why he flipped the game upside down because he played at a level that was futuristic. Like, LT could, could be an outside linebacker in the league right now, and he could still be at a Pro Bowl level. Yep. That's the cocaine. I agree. Especially with, the you know, the way they play uh, defenses now. You know, he can line up at, at DN and play outside linebacker. And you can yeah, yeah. mid wherever and kind of hide him in certain packages. I mean, that's just – like I said, it's the way the game's changed. And I think, you know, as much as it, it is with the coaching way, – uh, the, the way they do coaching and hiring – I mean, it's, it, it translates all the way over to every position in the NFL. You know, the way, it's, the, way the NFL is, is now compared to what it was in 2003. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the people who make decisions. Their minds haven't changed with it. No, they're, they're going at half the speed of what the game has moved at. I, I, I totally agree with that. Yep. I, I mean, we, we've been picking on Mitch Trubisky a lot, but, you know, there are a lot of guys out there. Blaine Gabbard is one of those guys. Uh, <laughs> Talked to another friend last night about this, uh, uh, Stevie Woodson. Me and him talked, and I had forgotten about it because I was I was harping on the whole Deshaun Watson thing. He said, "Let's not forget about when Cam Newton came out, how they were discussing whether Blaine Gabbert was was worth a pick higher than him." Now we look at that MVP, yeah. you know, Super Bowl not winning, but he went to a Super Bowl. Cam Newton and Blaine Gabbert, whose claim to fame was being on the ESPN bottom line for saying Blaine Gabbert out this week, but when he heard his had that in parentheses. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt even in the pre-draft process that Cam was, you know, Cam obviously had a whole lot of controversy going into the draft, mm-hmm. you know, with, with his old dad and trying to get paid, and that's another talk about as far as paying athletes. But yeah. uh, whether or not he was smart enough, you know, and John Gruden brought him on to the his, his little uh, John Gruden quarterback challenge or whatever, and it yeah. was almost like he wondered if he was smart enough to play in the NFL. When he was like, you know, what's your verbiage? And Cam didn't have these big, long, high, you know, John Gruden loves all these different names for plays and things like that. He was like, we went one, two, three, and four. Well, that's real simplistic. You know, you don't, you know, it's almost like he was saying he wasn't smart enough to do it. Yeah. Well, Cam Newton said, well, based off of those plays, play one could have four options. And I could do four different things out of that play. So, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm very smart 
because I have to not only read, but I have to read and react. So I've got one play. I can do multiple formations out of this play, and I can do multiple things out of this play. And there might be 10 plays and four options out of each play. That's 40 things that I have to remember. Mm -hmm. And it's from a, a movement and a memory standpoint. And it's reading and reacting. So yeah. what's to say just because I don't spit out a play that's 16 words long that I don't know how to do the play and I don't know how to write it up? Yeah. And that's – I mean, and if you, if you really want to dive deep into it, you can blame the coaches. You don't want to work hard enough to teach them. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, if you're willing to go hard enough to teach him all these options in, in those four plays – you can't teach him verbiage to prepare him for the NFL. You know, I think I think I think a lot of the time, like, and and I'm a big, I'm an advocate for it. I'm an advocate for it. keep it simple. Yeah, especially with these kids that we have nowadays, man. These kids have so many different outlets. You know, I know we're going off on a different tangent, but they have so many different things that that's grasping their attention. The last mm -hmm. thing they want to do is sit down for two hours and watch film or or or, or do grease board work. These kids want to go out and do stuff. Yeah. That's why you know. You see a high high rate of how many kids play baseball anymore? Because they don't want to sit and watch. These kids want to get out and do. So what what better way to get out and coach them than to show them how to do it as opposed to writing it on the board and mm -hmm. giving them look? You got four things that you got to do, and I'm gonna show you how to do them. Let's go out here and do it instead of talking about it. Yeah, and that's why you know in college basketball everything is switched over to a motion style of read and react. You know, even though it's people still run some different stuff. Every scheme that you have has something to where it's a read and react. You know, how yeah. to read and react off this pick. The pick, pick man has to read how he's defending it, if he's going to roll, if he's going to pop, if he's going to come restream. I mean, everything is it's, – it's, I think, it's, I think it's, it's made players better. It, it expands their mind. Yeah, they don't have the same lingo. and They don't have to know how to run 100 different plays, but they have to know how to react to 100 different situations. And I mm -hmm. think you're faced with those situations more than you're faced with – you know, having to run a play every time. Everything is sped up. You know, even in basketball, you don't come down. Everything's fast. I mean, for the most part, everything's let's get a shot in eight seconds. So I need to know – I need to have a re – I need to know that situation or eight seconds shot. All right, if I come off here, who should be open? What You know, people don't – It's a fast read and react thing. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't see very many people run the flex anymore. No. Yeah. They do aren't great. Yeah, they're they're not you know they're not at the level athletically that their opponent is or yeah. many of their opponents are. But okay, perfect example, and we we can kind of go into this for just a brief second. How come whenever and it's it's not I don't think it's not really in college, I, and I haven't really dug into it on that level. But in high school, you get a slower team, primarily white. They're smarter, no matter what. Oh, no matter what, yeah. They just know how to play the game better. They're just smarter. Yeah. If you're playing a team uh, of primarily all black kids or just kids from inner city, they they play fast because they're not smart enough to run plays. But if a team runs flex, it doesn't have anything to do with their athleticism. Oh, they're smarter. They know how to pick you apart. They run their stuff great. I've seen, you know, I, I've seen it go both ways. I, I mean, yeah. and, and that's the thing about it is, like, we have to stop being so stereotypical in the way we think about people. You know, I've seen, I've seen an athlete. I've seen one of the most, one of the greatest, one of the best athletes I've ever seen play on, on a football field or on a, on a basketball court. Uh, Mitchell Hughes from, from Washington County. They mm -hmm. ran a flex offense and he was the most athletic person in the fifth region. 
yeah. bar, bar none. He was probably one of the more athletic people in the state. And they were in a flex offense. But I've seen guys that are a bunch of athletic kids that run those slow down offenses. I mean, I've seen or or or, or, or cerebral players, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, for every for every, you know, Princeton. For every group of of guys that play, you know, play for Princeton, there's there's a guy like Jason Williams. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you can't pigeonhole it. And you know maybe the numbers are to where you know are there more athletic black people than black players than white players? Yes. But at the same time, it's not to say that these guys just because they're athletic aren't smart, yeah. or just because these guys are smart they can't be athletic. Mm-hmm. You know. I agree. Now Mitchell Mitchell Hughes is that the guy who would get uh would dunk it uh get technicals all the time in games? On everybody, yes. He was – when he almost guaranteed one technical a game, dunking it. He, I, tell you what, I don't know about that, but he was guaranteed probably about five dunks a game. I, I'll give him that. God bless. <laughs> did you just attack the rim. Huh? Did you ever get dunked on by him? I never did. He threw my <laughs> shot one time, and it was very embarrassing. <laughs> I thought he wasn't there, and he threw me into the stands. It was, it was bad. <laughs> Got taken out of the game. It was, it was, it was a dark time for me. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a bad memory <laughs> well I think we, we covered pretty much everything we wanted to talk about with the Rooney Rule and kind of got off track and covered some other good stuff um, I just want to thank you for being on the show today uh, we appreciate it, trust me I've, I've wanted to discuss this with somebody and I, like I said, I texted you last night about it and I was like, I gotta get him on it might have been yesterday, the day before I was just like, I gotta get him on I, I know he's going to share some, shed some you know, very intelligent light on this situation I just wanted to get that opinion well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on again. Hopefully, I was able to to help help some people think about some things, laugh mm-hmm. about some others, and uh, send some send some hate messages about <laughs> about some other stuff that I said. I'm sure <laughs> we have one Mitchell Trubinsky fan that that might send some hate. I'm gonna get eviscerated by <laughs> by whoever. <laughs> like I said, man, I appreciate you coming on. Oh, uh, no problem, man. Thank you for having me. Yep. All right, and our next guest on the podcast today is Chris Talley. Um, he's uh, he's played a little little professional ball, and he's brought him on to see if he can share some uh, good stories about either you know himself, guys he's played with, uh, guys he's played against, uh, and you know those people like us who are fans. So, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, Matt. Love yep. to be here. Yep. Uh, just kind of tell us, you know, where you started, where you played. Um, you know, being from California, uh, and kind of where it went from there. Yeah, yeah, I um, uh, grew up Southern California kid. Um, like a lot of kids there, they're it's very active. Um, everyone's playing sports. Uh, it's not unusual to see um, a kid not playing a sport. If they're not in a sport, they're either in the books. So uh, maybe I should have done that instead. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, playing up the competitions – really heavy out there uh grew up with a ton of kids that are um even to this day playing uh whether it be professionally or or in the you know in the big leagues so um yeah uh grew up out there uh, went to a small town called uh simi valley high school um and uh same place where the jared and jeff weaver went to um those are kind of a couple big name big league guys that came out of that school uh went on to college played naia out there uh for the Masters College, which is a private Christian school out there, small school. Um, mm-hmm. I actually ended up uh, going on to, to coach um, at a local Christian high school okay. and uh, thought my career was over 
And uh, next thing I know, I was getting a call saying, hey, you know, we we uh, we need a catcher. Uh, are you still interested? And uh, took the call and ended up playing a couple more years of baseball. So ended up working out, I guess. So. And where did that lead to? Where was that call from? Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, what happened was uh, I remember right out of college, uh, I was being talked to with a couple uh, teams and uh, the Rays seemed the most interested. And I remember watching the draft like every kid, you know, hoping that their name gets called. And I remember looking at the Rays and seeing that they only drafted like one, mm-hmm. one catcher that year uh, in 2013 or yeah, 2013 uh, MLB draft. And uh, he was like first round draft pick and then they didn't draft anybody else. And I remember talking to a scout uh, afterwards saying, Hey, I noticed you guys didn't draft any catchers this year. I guess you guys are, you know, catcher heavy. And he goes, yeah, I think, I don't know what happened. And uh, next thing I know, a year later, uh, they give me a call saying, yeah, you know, a couple of our guys are hurt and we don't have any catchers. <laughs> and so I kind of was like, a, I told you so moment. Yeah. But um, yeah, and that's what happened when they ended up meeting guys and they were kind of in a tough situation because it was uh, during spring training. And so it was, it had the draft hadn't happened yet for that year, 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And so they needed catchers, but they can't sign anyone because the draft is about to happen. So basically you have to call the previous year players. You have to just call around who you know, and my name got thrown out there. Um, so, so it worked. So were you there? Was, uh, was Madden still there? Yeah. So he was still there. Um, okay. yeah, all the other guys, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Price was there. All the okay. big guys, yeah, were were there. Um, and then w- when I stopped playing, it was like two years after that. That was kind of when everything started falling. Where Madden left, and then mm. you know, and we all knew it was coming. We we weren't shocked because they knew that change was coming. Mm. Um, and so we just thought, oh, maybe it's a move, or you know, maybe it's something else, but. No, it was ended up being, you know, they're making a lot of changes in the program. So, yeah, I remember actually when I first went there, it was spring training, I remember uh, they needed a catcher to catch bullpen. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, go ahead and catch this guy. You're out on the big field, which is where they have their spring training games. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, who am I catching? I guess some like, you know, some guy they're looking at or something. I don't know. Who knows who it is. Come to find out it was um, uh, Cobb who was rehabbing a start from Alex Cobb when he was, uh, when he had gotten hit in the head from a comebacker Mm -hmm. and he was like out for a while. And so they were, uh, he was going to rehab. And so I was like, Oh, sweet. So he's a great guy. (laughs) Phenomenal guy. Um, awesome. I mean, easiest bullpen hitting all spots, um, tips you a hundred bucks afterwards. Thanks for catching his bullpen. I'm like, no, thank you. Like I need to pay. Yeah. I didn't even pay you. Yeah, so. so did you volunteer every time he needed a catcher at that point? Kind no, of- it was more of just like a, you know, what what kind of situation for the day. I mean, I would volunteer every single day. <laughs> I'd take every spot. But uh, it was more of just, you know, what are guys doing right now? Like, you know, uh, are you working, you know, some guys working on different stuff. Um, I mean, the, if you were to look at a breakdown of a spring training day, it's it would look like um, – it came from outer space you'd be like what what is going on like you see all these numbers but you don't like 
you know, you don't com- can't compute everything. And so there's a lot going on. And so it just happened that it was my day to, to just kind of have a free day and be able to go do that. So worked out. Well, who's the biggest name guy that you either caught, uh, caught a game for or spring training, just a bullpen session. Who's the biggest name you caught? Um, yeah, it was probably, it, I'd probably have to be uh, Alex Cobb. Um, okay. Yeah. I would have loved to have caught price, but never really happened. Um, but I think uh, during during spring training, it was pretty cool because uh, the, the ways that the Tampa Bay Rays are set up is everyone is in the same facility. So there's no separation between um, the big league guys and the minor league guys, um, okay. which is awesome. And so I just remember uh, waking up early was one of the few first people at the ballpark. And uh, they have these big, huge um, hot, like a hot tub and there's like a, like a cold tub. Mm-hmm. like two hot does one's for hot one's for cold uh one's for you know pre-workout day and then like at the end of the day you want ice bath yeah. um I mean, they fit like 40 people they're massive tubs <laughs> and it's just huge and so i'm just in there and i think it was one of the guy with me um we're ready to start the day i'm like gosh i can't you know i can't wait for yoga today you know some stupid stuff that they're having us do here and, yeah. uh, and all of a sudden uh I see um, uh, Kiermaier walks in and just is, comes right in the hot tub with this Kevin Kiermaier. And I'm just like oh, freaking out. Like two weeks ago, I was just some nobody coach in Southern California and I'm sitting in a hot tub. So it was just cool. Cool thing. You know, stuff like that is just, it was surreal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's, and I just, um, it, you can't experience, you can't explain how it is. Um, there is, it's a definite, um, there's a change between, a difference between major league and minor league. Um, yeah. You know, you just, it's so hard to explain. Um, there's a lot of people, uh, when I was playing minor league ball, that they, they look at you and they think, oh, you're a millionaire. Like, you you got all the money in the world. You have nothing to worry about. And you, uh, you know, and so little kids, they get that mindset. And I, you know, I was guilty of myself as a kid. And so these kids, I just remember walking on the field and like, Hey, let me get your cleats. Let me get your jersey. Let me get your, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I got to play right now. I don't know how I'm going to play without any cleats. I'm not Shoeless Joe. You know, so <laughs> stuff like that, you're just like, man, I'm getting paid. Like, I'll give, be getting paid more working at McDonald's than I would, you know, than I am right now. And this kid thinks I'm a millionaire that I could just throw out all my bats and batting gloves. <laughs> so you uh, you played minor league ball in the, the races. Where – where were you all located? You're the team you were actually affiliated with. Yeah. So the last team I played for, um, it was the Hudson Valley Renegades. That was New York Penn League. The The way the Tampa Bay Rays set up is all their minor league is, is up and down the East Coast. Okay. Uh, and so uh, you have all these you – know, basically there's, uh, there's like two rookie ball teams, two or three, two or three rookie ball teams. Um, and then it goes from there to – either two or three single A teams okay. and then from single A and there's double A and then from double A, I think there's only one double A team and there's one triple A team. Okay. And, um, and so basically you're just trying to grind yourself through these levels, um, hoping that a guy gets hurt above you or something and then you can advance up. And so um, I started off in rookie ball 
and that all all the rookie ball is in uh, is in Florida um, there, except for one team is in Virginia. Um, and then basically uh, from there, I went to Hudson Valley Renegades, uh, which is New York Penn League. It's a it's a um, a ball team. So um, that was a fun league. That league is awesome. If you guys are if anyone's ever in New York or Pennsylvania, for that matter, near Penn State during the summer, they should definitely check out a game because those guys, they're fresh out of college. They're just, I mean, phenomenal athletes. Um, I can't I can't tell you how many guys, you know, I played against. Justin Verlander's brother, you know, I played against his little brother in that mm-hmm. league. Um, uh, uh, Ricky Weeks' little brother, I guess Jameel, Jameel Weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Fast guy, fast kid, uh, just a lot of big names and you probably see them in the pros right now um that maybe they come down um Mm -hmm. so just yeah it's a fun league um uh what else um yeah no so that's that's i didn't get make it to double a and i think the the team here in kentucky is with the tampa bay rays uh bowling green hot rods they're single a they're single a that that would have been the other team that i would have played for if it weren't for me going up to Hudson Valley, so. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been to a, uh, I think it was single A, the Myrtle uh, Myrtle Beach uh, Pelicans. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just based on the attendance, I would say that a lot of the people you all interact with is the bigger crowds is on a, whenever they offer the drink specials. Yeah, yeah. It's later in the week. I, <laughs> just that, did you ever have just an interaction with a fan? You know, even, even if it wasn't on one of those, I assume that beer nights beer special nights bring out the best of people oh yeah interaction oh yeah no without a doubt um i mean thirsty thursday you know like you just know i mean the pitchers they hate to throw on thursday because they're like oh my gosh like the 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 crowd is gonna hound me for not striking out this you know the beer batter to be able to get like a buy one get one beers So that is always great. Like, and you can just hear, cause people are like right in your back pocket and you can hear them. And it's, and it's, you know, it's not like a major league uh, field where there's tons of crowds. So it's kind of hard to hear. You have to be pretty close. Um, no, like you can hear them across, like, you know, across the way. Like if you're playing third base, you can hear them or behind the first base dugout. You know, it's just, you can, and they're just, you know, yeah, basically they'll be like, Oh, the hub doesn't any batter, you know, Oh, if he strikes out, you know, uh, buy one get one or half off or something you know beer and, uh, you know and and so when that batter comes up everyone's like you know you get oh my gosh if you go two balls straight on that dude the crowd is going to be so against you <laughs> it's not even funny they're come on strike them out like yeah we want beer. so yeah yeah it's fun but no you definitely in the smaller uh ball clubs you have you see the people every day uh these people they have season tickets um and they're just there every day and they're 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 with you and it's just stuff like that is awesome because you get to you build those friendships and you know they they start calling you by your first name and they think and especially little kids i think that's the coolest thing in the world Mm -hmm. um and so it's just awesome because they know if you're struggling they they really try to help you out and you know if they know you're doing well like they they're just, you know, they're just a bit, your huge, your biggest fan. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It was an amazing experience. So. So who's, who's one guy that, you know, you, 
kind of came up with he that ended up transitioning all the way to the big did you come up with anybody oh yeah oh there's tons i can just start rattling them off i remember a couple of years ago i was like i couldn't my wife she couldn't believe it i was like there are like six yankees that i played with or against really? and i think there's still probably like four right now that are on the yankees that i i either played with or i played against um let's see uh there's ben heller he's rehabbing right now his he had a, he was a pitcher. He had like a torn labrum or some kind of surgery. Um, but he's rehabbing with them. He was starting a couple of years ago and I think he's still been on the team. I'm not sure where he's at. Uh, I don't know if he's on the DL or what, but, um, and then there's, um, uh, Aaron judge. I don't know if you ever heard that guy, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I played against him in the, uh, the summer, uh, collegiate league up in Alaska. I was actually in a home run derby with him. Really? Uh, and yeah, that was the first time I met him was me and him were just hitting in the batting cage, uh, me and him just taking rounds, um, just to warm up for, for this home run derby. Um, and I remember we just were hating having to do it. Cause it's like, you don't get a day off out there. And for college, it's like, it's weird to have that transition of like not ever getting a day off. And it was like a rainy day. And so me and him were both just like, do we have to be here? <laughs> and like, it was rainy and like, but we could just tell the balls weren't going to fly. So we're just like, well, you know, how many Rome runs do we think we're going to have? Like two. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I honestly, like, yeah, we didn't have that many. I don't even know. Uh, I think I may have had like two my first round. I think he had like some same thing, like three or four, um, advanced to the next round. And then, uh, uh, he didn't even make it all the way. It was like him. Yeah, no, it was, um, he made it to like the second to last round or something like that. But the last round was between two people. One was like a pitcher that I was like, this guy does not even belong. He's just a bad <laughs> practice hitter. And then the other guy was Patrick wisdom who ended up actually playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, okay. I remember my wife and I went to a, a Cardinals game and all of a sudden they were like, you know, not batting Patrick wisdom. I was like, I played against that kid. So it was just super cool to see these kids that I've been growing up with. Um, another big name is uh, uh, Christian Yelich. Played against him in high school. And, really? yeah, and that kid, you talk about – I mean, he's got the sweetest swing right now probably in baseball. Him and Cody Bellinger are probably the sweetest swings in baseball. But you talk about the most unorthodox kid in high school. Um, he had power. He had yeah. raw power. His swing speed was insane. But he's just super unorthodox in how he does things. Like when he was playing defense – He'd go to throw, and it was just like – it looked like it hurt. Um, and just to be able to see that kid from there to, like, now he's on the – you know, in the big leagues, it's just super awesome. It, it's like, you know, I feel like – I feel like I was a part of that. You know, I played against him, so I was helping – you know, helping him get better, um, yeah. breathe competition. So, um, yeah. You uh, – yeah, you've told me this story. Uh, there's a video – that mm-hmm. when you were in college, a professional, former at the time, professional baseball player, who just decided to show up to practice. Uh, <laughs> I would love for you to share that with everybody. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're – the college I went to, it's – let me give you an idea of what it is. It's a small NAIA college, uh, roughly uh, 1,100 students in the whole school. So, there's like a third of them are athletes. Uh, and it's just a small little hidden college, uh, people, it's hard for them to even find it. They'll look at the street signs and they can't even like, it's just down this one little road. 
in Santa Clarita, California, uh, hidden in this valley. And not we don't get that many visitors. Um, I think one side of the road is gated. So it's like you literally only have one way in. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just there's really nothing back there um, except for that college. <laughs> and so uh, we're just walking. I'm walking from one end of the campus with a couple other uh, teammates of mine to the other side of the campus. And we see this guy on our field, on the baseball field, hitting hitting baseballs or softballs. And we're like, what is going on? And uh, we're like, well, let's go see what they're doing and try to kick them off. Say, hey, like, can't be on our field. This is private property. And uh, and so as we're walking closer, we're, like, see, watching this guy hit. And we're like, man, he is hitting balls deep. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's hitting them. And I just – we were watching. And we have this big, huge pine tree in left field that's, like – it's, like, Oh my gosh, th like three, it feels like 300 feet in the air. And he's like clearing that tree in left field. And we're like, this guy is hitting mammos. Come to find out, we walk up and we're like, at this point, we're probably like within 90 feet away because we were around first base and this guy's hitting them. And uh, one kid, I don't know if it was me or some other guy goes, that's Jose Canseco. <laughs> And I'm like, no way. And this guy, as we're walking closer, he's so tall. He's so – so we could tell he's just – and he's wearing some kind of tight, long sleeve shirt, but he's like – you just – he's to this day, he's still – he's, you know, cut guy and uh, uh, steroids aside. Uh, <laughs> now he is. And so we were like – we had to give him a hard time, obviously. You know, we're trying – we got to be like, okay, we're getting on him. And so other guys are like, no, like we don't want to piss him off. Like, <laughs> please don't. And so we're messing with them. We're like, hey, so we noticed you hitting. We're okay with you hitting, but you got to come to practice. Yeah. And so we got him. And so he's like, all right, I'll stay for practice. And so he stays for practice. And so we're all caught while we're out there. We're like, hey, Coach Canseco. And like, we're just <laughs> you know, calling him coach and giving him a hard time. And, and I remember I was catcher, but I was also an outfielder at that time. And we wanted him to, uh, to help out in some way with practice. So we were like, Hey, how about you grab a fungo and, you know, hit fly balls, the outfielders. So he's hitting fly balls uh, to us and we go out there, we're out in center field or, or left center. He's on first base side, uh, down the line in the outfield, like right field, but you know, on the, on the, mm -hmm. uh, the, on the line, hitting balls across the field. And he starts off hitting pretty good little, you know, pop-ups and stuff. And all of a sudden he just turns it on. And like, there's a kid that I remember I was like second in line. There's a kid that he gets, he hits the ball and I see it come off and I'm like, that came off hot and it's coming right at us. And those ones that coming right at you, they're yeah. so hard to judge. And so he comes charging up on it and I'm watching, I'm like, that ball is not moving. And it's like, it's like, you know, 15 feet off the ground and it just stays 15 feet off the ground all the way until it clears the fence. Like it clears all of us. Like it comes in. Like it's a meteor, just, you know, we're all like, oh my gosh. So he's all hitting these missiles at us, like that are 10 feet off the ground, just staying. Uh, and we're just standing there, right? And we just stand, stand, stand and catch. It was like the nuttiest thing because we're like, you know, 300 feet away. Um, and afterward, we're talking to our coach. We're like, man, how was that? Because he was tossing the balls in while he was, you know, he was the catcher guy. And he goes, I thought he was going to explode that fungo. He was swinging the ball so hard. And so we had him hit batting practice with us. And 
his bat speed, I don't even care what they say about him taking steroids. You can't teach that. It's the fastest bat speed I've ever seen in the game. Jose Canseco is unbelievable. He's an athlete. How far out of the league had he been at that time? Oh, man. uh, 15 years at least. At least. And it was still still that fast at that age. Yeah. No, it is by far the fastest bat speed I've ever seen. I'd I'd love to see if he can go on and, like, someone have a radar gun or something. Because I know now he keeps swinging because he plays in, like, uh, softball tournaments and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure he does. He's huge in the softball circuit, men's slow pitch softball circuit. Um, you can watch videos of him just dropping absolute bombs. Yeah. Uh, but there was that uh, uh, someone had taken a video that day and he was hitting softballs, and the, you have to watch it. He hits. It is by far. It's like 550 foot, or I think it said like 572 foot home run. If you watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, You'll see it, and he, it hits a building. It hits, like, our north, uh, like, commons building uh, in college. And that that building is, like, it's, like, 200 feet away from the fence. Like, it is a, a lot further than it looks. but it's it, it hit halfway up the building. Yeah, yeah. It, like, almost cleared the building. <laughs> and we're just, like, oh, my. I'm sure balls went further that day, but. Um, there may have been a little bit of wind going that way. Um, uh, but, yeah, it was just – it's just nasty. He just – he can swing. I'm like, I don't know why he's not – I don't know why he, they don't allow him to come back and yeah. play and just DH all the time. Now, one of the best parts of the story is he wasn't supposed to be there. No. Yeah, so we found out, like, the next week, we found out that he – uh, had sent his brother to like Vegas or something like that to star in this celebrity boxing match or something like that. And and it, wasn't it was his brother. And he, yeah. And he got busted, but he was at our field hitting softballs instead of a boxing match. It was just like the craziest thing. Yeah. So we ended up having him come out for a few games. He actually came out and watched a few of our games, which was like super cool. I mean, as a kid, you're, um, you know, you think to yourself like, Oh, if I could just make it to the pros, and then to be able to go out and play baseball and have a like, arguably one of the you know, the greatest of our time, one of the greatest ball players um, <clears throat> of our you know childhood, come out and watch you play, super mm-hmm. cool. Can't explain yeah. it. So, so, man, I <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and sharing some stuff. Oh, no problem. Uh, yeah, I always them. I've heard the the Jose Canseco story a couple times. I've seen the video. I laugh every time I hear it, uh, mostly because he really sent his brother to a boxing match at his place. That's what makes the cake. Oh, that's hilarious. So, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank, yeah, thank you. For you. With us. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right. All right. So, that's all the time we have for uh, episode eight. Um, yeah, I really appreciate uh, everybody giving us a watch or a listen. Uh, we probably exceeded what I thought was going to be uh, how long we went today. Probably exceeded by. Uh, 15, 20 minutes, but uh, we were, I mean, got some great stories out of the guys and got some good opinions out of them. Um, so it was definitely worth going over what the time limit was. Uh, like I said, I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you all uh, listen, giving us a listen today as well as uh, all the ones leading up to this. Uh, couldn't thank y'all enough for all the support you've given us. That's all I got for you today. Um, 
hopefully we return Monday with my with my good counterpart, Mr. Uh, Mr. Todd. So until then, thank you.